Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. This week is the power of God's word. The power of God's word. So we got four points tonight and a lot of scripture to get through. So we're going to jive. The di- we're going to jive. Man, I am wow, tongue tied here tonight. Sorry, guys. We're going to dive into the jive and we're going to get going. So point number one: the word is a person. The word is a person. We're going to spend about the first third of this message and this next passage. So we're going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 together here in the NLT version, okay? In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, um, I was raised in kind of an old school church, and we only use the King James Version of the Bible, and if that's you, rock on. Um, I kind of moved over to a different translation, kind of helps me and my simple mind kind of understand some, some things in a different way. And, but when I read that in the original you know, translation, the King James Version, the old King James, it says, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And... When I heard that as a kid, and even when I read it, uh, when I read it this week in my study, I would sit there and go, man, that is such a beautifully spoken passage. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And I, I just went, man, that is so deep and so rich. And I remember as a kid hearing that scripture and going, man, that is so great. Man, the, the, those words are so awesome. And then the, and the very next breath go, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> And so when I, when I um, uh, got into the scripture, I wanted to dig in to try to find what it really meant. Because the passage is so beautiful. It's so beautiful, in fact, that um, followers of Plato, not the clay that children use, but the Greek philosopher Plato. Um, the jokes are bad, but the message gets better as we go on. Um, <clears throat> the the uh, people who followed the Greek philosopher Plato actually said when, um, when they read that passage in the first, uh, the first chapter and first verse of John, they said, these words are worthy to be written in letters of gold. They were just so beautifully eloquent and rich. <clears throat> um, but I, what I want to do is I want to encourage us as a body of Christ, as a body of believers here as RCC and anybody else who might be listening to this that we kind of view as extended family and fellow believers. I want to encourage us to always go past the moment of that's beautifully eloquent and dig past that moment, appreciate the eloquence of what we're reading, but ask ourselves a question. And that's this, what does that mean? What does it mean that in the beginning was the word? What does that mean? Because um, the, the richness and the depth of understanding of this passage has a lot of power. See, this word, the word word in this scripture is actually the, um, the, the original word was logos or logos, depending on if you're kind of snooty or not. But if you want to correct somebody's uh, the way they say it, but it's the word logos, L-O-G-O-S there in your notes. And it has several meanings, but the two that we're going to kind of focus on tonight is this. It's a mental faculty of reasoning, 
thinking, and calculating. The mental faculty of reasoning, thinking, and calculating. And the second definition is a word uttered by a living voice that embodies a concept or idea. Now, let me just step to the side here and and say something before we go further in the message. It is very important that we do not, as believers in Christ, that we do not look at Scripture, take God's Word, and read it through our own lens. It's very important that we don't put on our Western culture American lenses and then read the Scripture because America was not even a thought in anyone's mind when these words were penned. It was long before our country was ever developed. And so it's very important that we do our best to take off the lens as much as we can and realize that Scripture was written in a Middle Eastern context. It was written from predominantly people who were Jewish in their culture. They grew up in in Israel and, and in the surrounding areas. And these people have a completely different vocabulary and outlook on life than we do here in the United States. It's important not to interpret the Bible in our own strength. In our own strength. And here's what I mean. It's important not to interpret Scripture with our own ideas and with our own thoughts and what we want it to say or what we wish it would, that it would say or we take the lens of our, of our nation and look at, look at the Scripture through the lens of the most profitable Um, financially profitable nation in the history of mankind and translate words like blessing to mean money because that's not what it means. We have to take the lens off and read Scripture for what it says, not what we want it to say. How do we do that? If I can't use my own idea, my own culture to try to interpret Scripture, um, what do I use? We use Scripture. And the next line in your notes is this. Scripture interprets scripture if you find something that you're reading in your bible or or a passage that you're reading and that you're studying and you don't understand it quite yet earmark it put a note by it and continue to read because my guess is you're going to find exactly the 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 verse or the context that's going to explain what you don't understand you can always call a pastor or a leader of a, of a Bible-believing church, but as we are taking responsibility for our own relationship with God, spending our own time in His Word, we need to make sure that we understand that Scripture interprets Scripture. <clears throat> you know, some people, and here's the reason, some people may look at that word logos and, or logos and think, oh, it's, the, it's where we get our English word logic. And so if you were only thinking that um, in that realm and in what we know today, you could easily read the scripture incorrectly like this. In the beginning, logic existed. Logic was with God and, the, and logic was God. And then you can pause there much like the, the Greek philosophers did. And they would look at that and, and they would begin to elevate human understanding, human reasoning, analysis, and, com- and comparison and contrasting things and taking a common sense approach to these things now, to things that they were thinking in life. Those are valuable things, but they cannot be elevated above the position of God. 
Because anything, including logic, reasoning, human, human understanding, intellect, knowledge, that is risen above the place of God in our life has become, by definition, an idol. That is the biblical definition of idolatry. And we have to make sure that we're not pursuing these things incorrectly. See, if I were just looking at it in my own strength, I could easily think that that's what the scripture meant. But as we continue reading, here's what I'm finding. In the beginning was the word. It's almost like it's pointing at a thing, like a Bible or a book or something, right? It's a thing, the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then the language in the scripture changes. I want you to notice that. It goes from saying the word to he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. And as I got into the the study and picking this scripture apart a little bit, I looked over here and I thought, man, why does it start with the word as if it's a thing? And then over here it references he as if it's a person. Why does it do that? Because in my current culture idea of my mind, it doesn't really make sense. It looks like it's two different things. And then as I began to study, I realized that it was common for Jewish people to refer to God as the Word of God. It was common for the people in that culture to refer to God as the Word of God because that Word also meant His decrees, the, His laws, His commands. And when they read His commands, they looked at it correctly as if it was the Word from God directly. So God and the Word of God were synonymous. I remember I told you scripture interprets scripture. So let's continue reading in John chapter one and get down to verse 14. And this is going to give us some great understanding here. Okay. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. After reading verse 14 in John chapter 1, who is the Word? God's only Son. The Word is Jesus. This scripture is one reason of many that Jesus is referred to as the living Word. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to go back to that, that scripture that we just read. And I'm going to go line by line really quickly. And I want to read it now that we have the understanding that the word is Jesus. And watch how this comes alive differently to us. Letter A in your notes. In the beginning, the word already existed. In the word, in the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was not created. It's the next line there in your notes. He was not created. Before the earth, the planets, the universe, and galaxies were created, Jesus was already there. He is before everything. Letter B, the word was God. Jesus was with God. Before anything is created as a member of the Trinity. It's very important to understand this in this context because the word was with God. Jesus is with God. And it's showing a relationship here that we, that we in, in Christendom today refer to as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
It's important to show this, that there's a relationship here because our God is not like these man-made gods who are mythological and they, you know, they, they, they fight each other for dominance and for power and for authority. No, this is the unified God. This is God in three persons, but one essence. They're working in perfect unity together. Jesus, the word, was with God. Let her see. The word was God. Jesus is not above or below God the Father. He is God. They're not competing like we just talked about in these mythological wars. That's not what's happening. They are working in concert and unity in one mind because the three are one. Letter D. He existed in the beginning with God. Now, it's, it looks like John is repeating himself here, and he is. John reiterates the first three statements in this one sentence. Anytime that the scripture repeats itself, we should take notice. In your notes, it says we should take special notice when the Bible repeats something. Letter E. God created everything through him, Jesus, and nothing was created except through Jesus. What this means is that God, through Jesus, created everything. Nothing that exists, exists apart from him. Many people don't want to say, in our culture today, they don't want to say the word God or Jesus. They want to remove the specificity of Jehovah, of Yahweh, of Yeshua. They want to remove the specificity of their names and replace it with things like higher power. They want to replace God's name with the universe. And in doing so, they completely strip God Almighty, the creator of everything, of his divinity. God is not the universe. He created the universe. He's not an invisible force or or higher power, nor can he be reduced to a created thing. He is the author of everything that has been created. He is the author. He is the beginning and the end. He exists outside of time, outside of space, outside of matter. He is the uncaused first cause of everything that we see. He is all-powerful. He is the Word of God. Letter F, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. Not only did God create the things and create us, he breathed life into us and the structure of life that is in everything that we see is his design. He is the one who initiated everything. Thousands of years of, um, let me back up, sorry, the, the next line of your notes. There is no life on this little planet that started without Jesus as its first cause. Nothing. Thousands of years of human philosophy and countless areas of scientific study still cannot explain something like consciousness. It's funny to listen to, to ask people today who are atheists or agnostics who are, who are in various areas of study in the sciences and you ask them what consciousness is and you'll find people that go, I, 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 uh, well, you know, we're still looking into that. 
Some people, they talk really eloquently without saying any words because without God, which is what most of these people who are trying to study the sciences have removed, there is no explanation for you and mine or anyone's conscious nature. The only logical explanation for life and human consciousness is that Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Word of God, created it. And then after he created everything and then breathed life into everything, he realized that we messed up and then the word became flesh, lived a sinless life, died on a cross and rose again so that we could have a way to be reconciled to God after humanity messed up and derailed their relationship with the word. The last line of that passage is the light shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. My friends, the word of God is eternal. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the beacon of hope for every person who is lost in the darkness of their sin. Matt, you're kind of repeating and hitting me a lot with this thing. I, I get it. God is the word. Jesus is the word. We, and yes, because I want to drive a stake in that point for us to never forget that Jesus Christ is the word. The word is not a thing. It is a person. And when I say person, I don't mean flesh and blood. I mean an entity that helped create everything. He is God. Point number two in your notes, if you're, if you're um, taking notes here with us tonight, is this. The Word of God has the power to speak. The power to speak. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, or have you ever cracked open a Bible and read kind of the beginning parts, the Old Testament, you will see that God spoke directly to mankind in a many different ways, but one of the main ways that he communicated to his people in general was through prophets. And then as you begin to continue reading and you go into the New Testament, you see that there's not a whole lot of that that continues going forward, that the gift of prophecy is very real. But what we're finding is there, there's a little bit of a change here, and it's it's correct to think, does God still speak to us today? Let's go to his word and find the answer. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. We can see that in the Old Testament. That is true. And now in these final days, I underline this if you've got your notes, he has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. Here, here it is again, another reference to Jesus creating the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. So after reading that scripture, I have a question for us. Does God still speak to his children today? 
the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. I'm going to ask you another question. What is a main way that God speaks to his children today? And that scripture we just read, through Jesus, who is the word of God. It's funny when I listen to uh, people who are, you know, kind of outside of the faith. They don't really, um, they're, they're not Christians at all. And they don't, they don't, they're trying to find ways to deconstruct this idea of Christianity. And I listen to them talk and they, they say things often like, well, we don't need God. It's kind of an archaic idea. It's just for all those ancient people back in the day who didn't really have the ability as we have to logically reason have as much knowledge, or be as intellectually um, advanced as we are. And every time I hear that argument, I chuckle because people are using the gift of reason and intellect and knowledge that has been given to them by the God who created reason, intellect, and knowledge to try to use reason, intellect, and knowledge to disprove the God who gave them the gift in the first place. This is a perfect example of the scripture that says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. There is no knowledge. There is no reason. There is no wisdom. There is nothing without the word. There is nothing without the word. And notice the phrasing of that statement, the word. He's not a word. He's not some word. Jesus Christ is the word. He's the word. Point number three. We talk about the power of God's word. We have to talk about the power of of scripture the power of scripture now god spoke to us through the life of christ but the bible records the teachings commands parables real life encounters and actual words of jesus everything is focused in on jesus being the word and so this raises a question you know, we have four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the first four books of the New Testament. We sometimes refer to them as the Gospels. These four books are the ones that focus on Jesus' life, his teachings, his, his, his miracles, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his words, the things that he said, how he stood before Pilate, and all these life encounters we have. So, if we're talking about Jesus being the word and he should be the focus, shouldn't we just take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and let that be the thing that we study? Why do we need the rest of scripture? Why do we need the rest of it? Why do we need books written by Paul and Peter and John um, and Revelation and James? Why do we need all the rest of this stuff? Why can't we just focus on these four books? And honestly, it's a really good question. It's a really good question. Why do we have to take the whole thing? Because there's some people in the church today who would look at parts of Scripture and go, yeah, that part I could really kind of do without. I would like to separate myself from this part and just talk about this. 
Why do we take the entire thing? I'm going to tell you, 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. This is Paul, the apostle, talking to his disciple, Timothy. But you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Why do we take the entire Bible as, 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 um, and not just take pieces of it? Why do we take the whole thing? We read the entire Bible and hold it as our authority because the Almighty God divinely inspired men of God to write it. The the life of the living word ripples through eternity. The living word inspired Scripture. And that scripture, after he came and he lived and he died and rose again, and he speaks through humanity to us, through his apostles to us, through his disciples to us today, through scripture. He continues to speak to us and get this without contradiction. Without contradiction. Do you realize that it is impossible, not virtually impossible or almost impossible. It is impossible for mere men to pen the 184,590 words of the New Testament alone without contradicting each other even once. And if you think a group of men can sit down and through their own knowledge and intellect come to something like that and create something like that, you have never met a man. (laughs) <laughs> because I know men, I, got, I have friends my whole life, and there are things we disagree on. Everybody knows the Lakers are the best basketball team, and still people shout me down when I say the truth. No, one can, no guys can agree on the best quarterback for a sports team. They cannot agree, uh, agree on who the, who the greatest basketball player Michael Jordan ever was. You, there's arguments that all come all, uh, all the time. And if you watch mere men rise on this intellectual chart, this intellectual ladder in their own mind, what you'll find is there's even more stern disagreements between those who perceive themselves to be highly intellectual than there are among common people. The smarter men decide they are, the more contradictory they become to other people. Because they're trying to prove, I know. And if that is the argument you try to make, I would remind you that the men who penned the words of Scripture were not Ivy League dudes. 
These were not people who were offered scholarships to the, the major universities of their time because their GPA and their intellectual prowess was so, uh, their intellectual acumen was so sharp. These were fishermen, tax collectors, entrepreneurs, tent makers, Pharisees. They were common people like you and like me. There is no way they could do that. There's no way they could orchestrate Scripture and not have a single contradiction if they're writing in their own strength or penning their own ideas. So what does that mean? Very clearly it means this. The Bible is not... Next line of your notes. The Bible is not a collection of books written by different authors. The Bible is a single book with many writers, but only one author. And that author is Almighty God, the Word of God. Number four. We talk about the power of God's Word. We have to talk about the power to save power to save is our final point tonight faith in jesus christ the word is the only way to be saved become reconciled to god almighty and spend eternity in heaven with him period full stop end of discussion faith in christ is it he's the only way Matt, why are you uh, trying to, to really drive that point home? Why are you being so dogmatic on that? Because I'm going to show you here in just a second. Our faith in Christ, the Word, is the only way that we can be saved. But Scripture also gives us even more insight. Scripture also informs us how we can be saved from deception and preserve our faith in the Word. How do we do that? Matthew 24, 23 through 36. This is Jesus himself talking to his disciples and his followers. Listen to what he says. Then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up. He's guaranteeing it. They will rise up. And now look at this. And perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother and go look. Or they say, look, he is hiding here. Don't believe it. How in the world are these people supposed to know the difference between the true Messiah and a false one, the true prophet and a false one, the true teacher and a false one? It was because they sat there and heard the words, the word of God. They had his word spoken directly to them and we hide his word in our hearts so we may not sin against him. 
We live in the most privileged time in world history because we don't have to listen and try to remember exactly what he says. We have God's word written for us, the complete, the complete picture and given to us as his disciples so we can be sure what the word of God says. Why is that important? I, uh, during my study this week, I read a, a, um, a research document that was uh, created by a group called Barna Research. You can easily find it online. It was done last year and early this year and was released in May, I think, um, of this year. And what Barna does is he tries to um, gauge where people in the United States and America are with Scripture and Christian ideas and thoughts and beliefs. He also tries to gauge where the people who are in the church and call themselves Christians are with what they believe and how the culture is impacting it. So he called, um, him and his team uh, contacted and interviewed thousands of people who, and a good portion of them, uh, referred to themselves as Christians or born again. He asked them a lot of questions about their quote-unquote biblical worldview. He asked them questions in two categories, in belief and behavior. He asked them questions about truth, morality, creation, history, human nature, lifestyle, sin, salvation, their relationship with God, and things along those lines. If the person that was being interviewed not even didn't even give 100%, if they just got 80%, which in my day was a C, a grade in, in my day in school was a C, um, and if it's a B now, then don't try to figure out how old I am. But it was a C when I grew up, right? So if you, if you were just average on the, on the, the, the biblical worldview test that he was giving, he, he just decided, okay, I'm going to count you as somebody who had a biblical worldview. If you were below that average score of 80%, and he counted you as someone who didn't have a biblical worldview. This unfortunately didn't shock me, but still troubled me. This is the one piece of his information I, I want to communicate to you is this. Only 19% of the people professing to be born again held a biblical world view. 81% of people who called themselves believers, Christ followers, born again, did not hold a biblical worldview in these subjects that he asked about. That helps me to understand how people fall for false teaching like the prosperity gospel. I'm really rough on this when I preach because it doesn't help you prosper and it's not the gospel. It's like a double whammy. It's garbage. Is it any wonder how people fall for the new age mystical practices that are trying to be massaged into the belief of Christianity? There are literal ministry schools that teach young, born-again believers in Christ to go to a cemetery and lay down on the grave of someone who they think was a great spiritual person and try to soak up into their being the anointing that was on the bones in that casket. 
100% heresy. That has nothing to do with Scripture. And I often wonder, how do people fall for this stuff? And then I realize 81% of people who call themselves born-again Christians do not have a biblical world view. Is it any wonder that prominent preachers teach that all religions lead to the same God? This is 100% opposite of Scripture. But they are literally teaching from pulpits and churches in our country that it doesn't matter what you call your religion. Yeah, Hinduism. Yeah, Islam. Yeah, Jainism. Yeah, all the Buddhism, all the other ones. They're just different expressions, all going to the same God. Just pick your path and go to them. Oh my goodness, this is nowhere in Scripture. Jesus is the only way to God. Why isn't there pushback? Why do believers in Christ, why do, we, why do they bend, their, um, bend to the demands of culture in terms of morality and their faith practices? Why do things like this continue to flourish? My friends, the number one reason or a main reason that people fall for these false teachings is a lack of biblical knowledge. <clears throat> How in the world do we have a lack of biblical knowledge? The message of the gospel has never been more readily taught and broadcast to the world at any other time more than now in human history. The Bible has never been more available to the planet at any other time than human history than right now. The Bible is available in more translations and and, uh, languages and available for free on every cell phone device in the world at more than any other time in human history. We have more freedom in this country, at least currently, to practice our faith openly without much persecution for one of the most sustained periods of time in human history. God's living word is available to us without delay. Immediately, whenever we want it, Yet, 81% of people failed to hold the biblical worldview. And my guess is, they failed to hold the biblical worldview because they don't have a relationship with the living word or the word that has been given to us. Why are we slack? and lax with God's word? Why do we see it on the shelf or on the nightstand and go, oh, I'm just going to sleep in a little bit today. I'll get it tomorrow. Why do we get busy and think, oh, I need to do that, but this Netflix subscription ain't going to watch itself. Why do we take the time and go, man, I need to be refreshed. I need some me time. I'm just going to go somewhere. And we go and try to refresh ourselves in things that are outside of the word of God. I wonder sometimes if the increased scrutiny and the resistance that we feel in our culture today is not allowed by God for any reason but to push us back to his word. 
okay, Matt, I feel bad. I feel bad. I didn't read my Bible this week. I kind of skimmed over it last week. I haven't picked it up. It's kind of dusty on the shelf. I feel bad. Job done. Is that what you're trying to do? No. I'm trying to communicate the conviction I felt. As I sat and got ready for this message this week. I'm supposed to be the pastor, the lead pastor of this church. And I can, if I'm honest with you, and more importantly, honest with God, I have to say that I have become, as a pastor, I have become complacent when it comes to the area of God's Word. Not that I'm wavering from it theologically or my doctrine is going away from Scripture. No, I'm talking about my consistent intimacy with the living word and the word that he's given to us. What am I going to do when I stand before God? When I, when I live during one of the most free times in this country that we have ever experienced in humanity and know that I have got probably four or five of those Bibles sitting on a shelf and I carry one in a bag and yet there are still moments where I struggle to open it. Why? Because comfort has superseded the discipline to pursue Christ. We talk about having the abundance mindset and we want to get more and we pursue all of these things. But there is no fulfillment away from Jesus. Oh, you'll fill that void that's inside of you. You'll put things in there, all kinds of things, and it may satisfy for a moment, but my friends, ultimate fulfillment is only found in the living word, Jesus Christ And that continued satisfaction in drawing closer to Him comes because we spend time with the living Word, Jesus Christ, and we are consistently rooted in His Word. I would think if I took that test, I would hopefully have a biblical worldview. My hope is that anyone who listens to this message, but especially people who call RCC Phoenix their home church. My hope is that in a short time, if the people who did that research were to walk in the door and ask us about our worldview, that we would have such intimate knowledge with God's word that we would answer the question honestly that we hold a biblical worldview. We used to sing an old song when I was a kid that talked about there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb is the blood of Jesus Christ, the living Word, and God's Word has power. We just read to change us, to convict us, to prepare us for the work that God would have us to do in our short span of time here on earth. The Word of God has to be a major root in our life that helps sustain us as we encounter false gospels and false teachers. 
My goal tonight was to not sit here and beat a dead horse and make people feel bad. My goal tonight was to re-elevate, re-establish in our own hearts, and if no one else is just in mine, the supreme importance of God's Word. It has to take priority for us. Not because there's these rules and you better follow the Jesus rules or God's going to find a, a, a nice little bit of lightning and zap you with it. No. It's because my heart beats for the one who saved me. My heart beats for the God who gave me grace. The guy who didn't deserve it, he gave it anyway. And to be closer to him, I have his word available to me. And it's available to you.